Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with talented tenor jazz saxophonist J.D. Allen. He grew up in music-rich Detroit, Michigan, and is on the heels of releasing his 2016 album called Americana. He is a big fan of both Branford Marsalis and Sonny Rollins, and he's rubbed shoulders with both of them. He has great stories about him. He learned quite a bit with a lengthy tenure with Betty Carter and has worked with legends like Lester Bowie, George Cables, Ron Carter, and many others. He's accumulated quite a bit of wisdom and cool over the years, and he talked all about it. So please get to know J.D. and dig this interview, my friends. Oh, I'm great, man. I'm, I'm great. Woke up this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm A-OK. That's good, man. It's Friday and the sun's shining. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking some time out for me today, man. I appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you for thinking of me. I, I appreciate it. I've had you on the show numerous times. I love your music, so it's an honor to Thanks. finally get to speak with you. Oh, man, thank you, man. Hey, glad, glad we're here. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and kick things off here, and I just want to get a verbal snapshot of what's been going on with you with activity. You know, as you said, you know, we have a, a, a new record came out, May, you know, on the 20th. We're... Um, you know, working that song, you know, we, we, we were still, we were still kind of in the graffiti stage, which was the previous album. Start playing more material from the, the current album. So, I mean, that's, that's basically it. You know, we, we, we do our shows and, you know, it's, it's, it's as simple as that, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, let me get an idea of your latest album, Americana. How do you feel about this album? Well, you know, the thing is, is, is it, it was it was more of a selfish thing, and then once it was recorded, I was worried if it was going to be received. I, you know, I've gotten to the point where I feel I felt that um, it, it was important to really investigate the blues, you know, and blues musicians, you know, great the great architects of uh, of American music, you know, or at least some of the great greatest contributors to America, meaning from the United States. I just started investigating it. Uh, it. It actually came about because my, I, have, I was giving a lesson to a student. You know, we were going over a blues, and, and I stopped and asked him, you know, have you heard any real blues musicians? And he, he hadn't, you know. So I suggested some players and stuff like that, and then I realized that I needed to, like, personally investigate those great musicians. And, um, and that, that kind of kicked it off. That and another situation in Seattle was doing a residence at some some uh, the school uh, it was another thing with the blues. Uh, a young player was playing the blues, and I asked him, "How? Why is it that while playing the blues, he did everything but play the blues? He just kind of played on a chord form, which usually most musicians would do. They'll they'll try a lot of harmonic ideas on the blues form form without actually getting into the feeling of what the blues is. So that those two particular things kicked me off, and this happened within a few years ago. I said, okay, well, if I want to grow, then I need to really sit down and investigate this music so I can add depth to my playing. Funny thing is, uh, we, you know, we did the recording in January, and I'm still learning things about it. So it, it isn't a process that's over now that we've done the album. I think this is a process that's just going to continue in my development. So it is selfish, you know. Right. Because, <laughs> it's selfish because I want to get better. So I'm just, I'm just, I just documented trying to get better. <laughs> so I apologize for that. So I, I hope people dig it, you know. No, I think that's the whole magic of being a musician is that it's a constant learning process. And if you don't mm -hmm. learn well from your history, 
you can possibly yeah. repeat the failures of it. All you're going to do is make yourself a stronger exactly. Player, you know exactly. Um, yeah. You know, what, the one thing I find interesting about the blues when it comes to like jazz and blues, there's a popular misconception that people think that jazz was before blues, but it was actually the blues way before jazz. I mean, that oh yeah, of, definitely. It ushered in a total floodgate. I mean, you think about even the Rolling Stones and a lot of rock and roll outfits. The blues mm-hmm. has permeated the fabric of every sense of American music. It's very essential, oh yeah. You know? Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the bedrock uh, of, of of a lot of current things that are going on now, and you know that's even outside of form itself. Because then that's a whole another topic. What is the blues form? And when you know when you go back and you listen to guys like Lightning Hopkins play, or even older musicians, you know the the idea of the twelve bar form comes into question, which it seems that rock has definitely adopted. Well, early rock and roll definitely adopted. Early R&B adopted the Robert Johnson famous 12-bar form, you know. Hence, the you know, they call him like the father of rock and roll. The feeling and 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 the music itself is just it's the, it's the future and it's the past all at the same time. Because you find the blues, you know, when you go past the blues, you get you get into the to the church, the gospel, and then you get into the the slaves singing the field songs and stuff like that which is a part of American culture. And that's the beauty of it, man. You know, it, people can uh, can take that feeling and make it their own, but it, it, it's it's just the, it's the bedrock. And, and I felt if I want, you know, I, I wanted to get better, man, and I, I need to investigate that. I need to, like, listen to it, listen to the blues as much as, as, I, as I listen to today's music and jazz, you know, with that same kind of, you know, studious thing that a jazz musician usually has, you know, where he has to listen and study. I'm trying to study blues in that same manner. And I'm finding a a lot of great things, man. It's like those guys were great craftsmen and they were able to mold, you know, the form around the way they were singing the lyrics or, you know, it's it's really interesting. You know, it's really, really interesting. Speaking of bedrock and deep music history, you come from the Motor City. And, oh yeah, <laughs> and, and I want to know what was it about your childhood in Detroit that led you to to really love music and more specifically jazz? I started out actually singing. Uh, my my mother was a, a singer, and um, she uh, she you know she had me, and and, and she stopped singing, and the, so I had a couple of younger siblings, and we used to get together and rehearse and 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 sing. But I, I couldn't sing, and not not well enough to take it on as a career so my mom would always like hit me on the mouth man because i was singing flat or something like that or i wasn't keeping the beat as she would say I, so i just decided to pick up an instrument and um you know I, I got into a really cool program i had a teacher uh when i was i started at nine but then i got serious about it around 12 and i switched to saxophone and fortunately enough I met a younger player. I don't know if you know a, a, a drummer by the name of Ali Jackson. Currently plays with Wayne Marcellus. We kind of grew up together. And we, it was like a, a young child band. And I, you know, I was lucky enough for them to let me hang out. The coolest thing to do. If either you were in a band or you played sports, I just chose you know, or or it picked me. You know, it was a yeah. good way to stay out of trouble. It, it was a good way to meet friends. I was really shy. You know, so. If you play music and you run into, a, a, as you would know, you know, you run into another musician, you automatically have something in common. So I was making friends like that, and I just stuck with it. You know, it's what I could do. You know, <laughs> so I, I do it. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. Was there an album as a kid that really kind of blew your doors down? Wow. Well, I will say this. The, the, the first thing that got me was I saw a special on Louis Armstrong. So, And this is like in the fourth grade. And I wanted to play the trumpet, man, but a, a friend of mine at the time, I can't remember his name, we were running. It was two instruments. It was a clarinet and it was a trumpet. And we were running to get it after school. And he, he was bigger than me. He beat me, so he got the trumpet. So I ended up with the clarinet. So yeah. I stuck with that. But what really got me, honestly, was uh, I saw G-Man, Sonny Rollins. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I saw that when it came out, man, on PBS. That knocked me out. When I saw that documentary, G-Man, that made me like, oh, wow, you know, okay. Then I wanted to switch to saxophone. So a few years later, I, I got a hold of a saxophone. But I remember seeing uh, Mr. Rollins in that documentary, and it just blew on my mind. You know, he, he broke his heel. He was on his back. And it was just like, wow, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think I, that kind of, like, put me in, you know, like, I was like, wow, I, 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 I was interested. It, it, it woke me up. I got to say G-Man was the, the one for me. I used to stand in front of the mirror, man, when I was a kid, and I would put G-Man on and pretend I was Sonny, and then I would put Branford Marsalis on. When I got hit to him, I would pretend I was Branford and stuff. I, I had this whole crazy thing. <laughs> you know, I was like, those are my two guys, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, that, was, that was my thing. When you were growing up, did you always know that it was going to be music? Did the music bug bite you, and you were like, this is how I'm going to live my life? I think I decided to do it. When I was, you know, about nine, but around 12 or 13, I said, yeah, this this is what I'm I'm going to do. Yeah, that was it, man. I, I, and I was being it. I, I was it. I, I didn't have to wait. You know, fortunately enough, they didn't have the Internet and video games. You know, you can, you can run into people who had like interests and you can hang out with them. So we were actually doing it. You know, by the time me and Ali Jackson got together, I was probably like 15, 14. We were gigging. You know, we were making a gig. That we, you know, that was our summer job. We would we would do gigs. So yeah, I, I've always done this, man. This is I was it at thirteen, fourteen years old. I was a musician. Now I wasn't pretty good, and then I had a lot of work to do. But I was this all in purpose. That's my thing to the youth. I, I've noticed that it seems like people want to wait to become something, but you can be it right away. You don't have to go to school. I mean, you got to go to school, or it's good to go to school, but. You know, all this, the Google's available, internet, you you could be what you want to be now, yeah. you know, and I think that's what we were doing. And uh, we're still playing music, I know I am. So, you've had, you've been around a lot of great people. Uh, Betty Carter, um, when you went to New York, you were around Lester Bowie, George Cables, Ron Carter. So, you've kind of been around a lot of big shots for years. What did you absorb from being around that caliber of a performer and those with that kind of cloud? I I observed that uh that I didn't know anything. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know anything about anything. I mean, to this day I couldn't figure out why, how I even got there. I mean, because on paper it looks unreal, you know. Yeah, I I didn't know anything. I I realized that you know there was this whole history that I heard a little bit about, but when you're around those type of people, you're seeing it walking around. You you know you're having a conversation with history. Yeah. And um, I, I just realized I had a long way to go, and I still do. And the great thing about it, man, this to, today I realize I don't know anything now, and I think that's great. The cup is always half full. You know, there's always something to learn. 
And that's what I learned from that because those people that you mentioned, man, they were still learning. They were still into checking things out, obviously because they were having younger people around them and they were interested in, especially Betty Carter, they were interested in what the young people were doing and, and learning how to explore ourselves, you know, but I, I realized I didn't know anything. You know, I, I heard an earlier recording, um, fortunately enough, uh, I think WBGO in New York, they put out a recording of, or they, they found a recording of my first recording with Betty Carter was a New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve broadcast. And it was so new that they called me John Allen. I wasn't J.B. <laughs> Allen. <laughs> and I listened back to it, man. I sounded awful, man. I don't know why I was there, but she had me up there with her and I was struggling, but it was a tough love and, 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 and that generation, man, you know, they kind of just told you the truth. You know, if, if it wasn't happening, you would know right away. You're going to hear the truth. And then it's up to you to deal with it. And it took me a few years to deal with certain things. That I was, but, yeah. And they knew I didn't know. I couldn't BS those people. But they, do, they, do, they, do, they knew the real deal. Absolutely. Well, that was great. So, you know, talking about your beginnings, I'm always fascinated with this new digital revolution that we're in right now. You're on the Savant record label right now. But when you began in the beginnings, do you like the way you're doing what you're doing with recordings and how you're living your music life now versus in the beginning with all the changes? Uh, I think now it's a little better. Back then it was kind of a situation where uh, the larger record companies, and, they, and they, 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 they would tell you the people that you had to have in recordings. They would tell you, you know, you have to make the type of recording you have. And it was a little, you know, the idea, especially coming to New York, was like, okay, you get a gig with somebody famous, and then the New York Times might do an article on you, and then you can get a record deal with Verve or Columbia, or I think Impulse was around, was around then also. It came back, but it was a different Impulse. And then it was like the end of the Young Lion thing, you know, the certain age, you know, they were looking for kids playing like 25. So I didn't make any of that, you know. Yeah. I just didn't fit that. I think now is better in terms of creativity because you have so many different things going on and there are so many vehicles where you can get your thing out and total control of it in terms of the content. Now, the situation that I'm on now with Savant High Note, I mean, they they let me record whatever I want. You know, I, there's never been a, a dispute about what I'm going to play. You know, they just they, 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 they provide... You know, they provide the studio and they they pay the band and everything like that. But the, the the content of the material is up to me. Maybe twenty years, fifteen, twenty years ago, that would have never happened. They would have you know, most most of those companies would have looked for like some type of angle, you know. And I, you know, okay, there's not a lot of record companies and this, this and that is not the same. But in terms of creativity and getting stuff out there, I think it's a lot better now. Yeah, absolutely. I always hear that there's more freedom these days, for sure. Yeah, way more freedom, man. I mean, we used to, you know, we, man, I, I remember doing gigs with Betty or, or whoever, and certain individuals from all naming names, you know, but they were pretty big at the time in the record industry. When they were walking to the room, everybody gets scared. Oh, such and such is here, and you got to get, you know, you got to play to impress, and, and what do they like? And it, it was more like buying a new car versus just, making art, you know, so it was a whole different experience, you know, whereas now it's like, you know, you can, you can check out this guy and, you know, you can, you can check out a Tim Byrne, you can check out a, you know, a, a Bill McHenry, you can check out a Marcus Strip, you can check out a Branford and, and everybody's coming from different angles. I think there's more variety. So it's, it's really hip, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you've played around a lot of people, learned from a lot of great jazz 
folks. What advice have you gotten that sticks with you on a regular basis that you think, man, it just kind of comes into your head and it was a good teacher? I think the thing that really stuck with me, two things <laughs> that I've never forgotten. I, I've been told, I've been blessed to hear a, a, a lot of things, you know, just simply because I was born in the 70s and a lot of the greats were still walking around on earth, thank God, you know, so I was fortunate. But two things give me, one thing that Betty Carter would say, she said that if you take care of the music, the music would take care of you. I'm sure you've heard that around, but that was the first time I heard it, it came out of her mouth. Yeah. And another thing was uh, I was fortunate to to do a week with David Murray's big band, and I remember doing a, um, doing a sound check. He said that <laughs> this was great, and I use this model to this day. He said, you, I'm going to cuss a little bit, but he said, man, you got to play all your baddest shit in the first set because that's when all the critics come out. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. He said, man, you know, knock him out on the first set. Then the second set, you can experiment and, you know, try things. With that first set, that's yeah. when all the critics come out. So that got to be the one, you know. <laughs> yeah, right on. That's so cool. those two things always stuck with me, man, you know. And to take care of the music, the music, if you take care of the music, the music will take care of you. It's now starting to resonate with me more than when I was 22, 23. You know, it's just simply do the work. And, you know, as a result, the effect will be what you your desire, you know. Yeah. It took me 100 years to realize that, but I think she was right, you know. Well, there's certain things you're not going to learn when you're young. I mean, you're when you're young, you got your ego and you, you think you got it all figured out, but you put a couple decades behind you, and then that <laughs> wine starts tasting good, man, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta, you got to live. There's certain things where it's like, you just got to live. That's all you can do. Oh, yeah, you just got to live. But, boy, what a what a life to live. <laughs> yeah. A lot of stuff that I wish I had just gotten. And I hate to use the word wish, but in this circumstance, in this instant, I wish I had just gotten it then when someone told me, you know. You know, you're a teacher now, so I want to ask you this. With all of this great advice and being around such great people, what's your teaching philosophy? My teaching philosophy is that everyone is a teacher. <laughs> nice. You know, it's like, and I try to tell people, I say, everyone you meet is a teacher, you know. And, 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 okay, if you want to get specific with music, I always tell guys, like, look, man, you know, call someone up or or, or just when you see someone, the, the best way to go about, hey, man, what you working on? Keep a little notebook. And whatever I do, they, they say, oh, I'm working on this. You jot it down and you go practice on that. And that's how I've learned a lot of things, just by casually asking people. And I do it now. You know, if I see a, a younger player, that I dig, man, I'll email them or, or contact them through Facebook and say, hey, you know, I'm a fan of yours, and I was just wondering, you know, what are you working on, or, and, and get that advice, and I, and I write that down, you know. So I just try to keep the philosophy that everyone is a teacher, and if you think like that, you, you're constantly learning, you know. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my thing, you know. Right and on. then the basics, like, you know, as far, just always constantly working on the basics, because if you have the basics down, then you, you can do anything, you know. Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, so you've been around what the world would consider a lot of jazz heroes, but for you personally, who would you consider some of your jazz heroes? Oh, my jazz heroes? Wow. Fortunately enough, both of them are still living. Um, Sonny Rollins and Branford Marsalis. I think those those are my top guys. You know, I, I check what they're doing, and I, I've been able to hang out with Branford 
quite a bit, and that's that's been a blessing. But those are my go-to. You know, sometimes I, I, I'll just put the recorders on and remember why I got into it or why I, I enjoy it so much. So, you know, my jazz heroes are still with it, thank God. Right on. So if you could get into that magic time machine and see a gig, who would you go see and where would you go? Wow. I think that – um. I mean, I would, of course, love to see Trey, man. I mean, it, it would be so many gigs. I could, I, I wouldn't want to get just one. <laughs> yeah. If it was like a, a genie, I would say, I, I, you know, I would like to wish for ten, ten gigs to see. That's my wish, you know. Yeah. But definitely Train, and and uh, that would be great to have seen that classic band, and Coleman Hawkins. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I always wanted to see Dexter Gordon, man. You know, I, I missed him, but he passed before I got to New York. So many, man. Everybody, man. You know, I would love to have seen Papa Cazales play. That would have been hip. Yeah. From the Bach cello suites, you know. That it's, it's too many to name. Maria oh, Callas, that would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hard to pick one, for sure. For sure. Um, <laughs> let me broaden things out just a bit here and ask you, why do you love jazz? Why do I love jazz? Um Man, it's just a way of life, you know. It's 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 not a it's not a genre for me. It's not a style, you know. And uh, a good friend of mine, Eric Reeves, the bassist, coined this phrase that playing jazz is not a style or a genre. It's a way of life. Okay, so it's like, <laughs> what's that term? Jazz is I forget who who did it, but they talk about you know you're dealing with a certain situation and you got this and that and you have to take those situations that might not be ideal. I think the very nature of improvising uh, attracted me to it. You know, just for making something out of nothing, and I, I think that's cool. I mean, it keeps you on your feet. So, jazz is a way of life, man. This is jazz. You know, improvising an interview. You know, yeah. or, or, or <laughs> yeah. improvising on a stage or walking into a, a neighborhood that you don't quite know and trying to figure out how to be within that neighborhood or a room of people you don't know or pe- a room of people you do know, you know, and I think we're blessed to always be, you know, the, the, the prerequisite for being a jazz musician is being creative and improvising. So that that's jazz, but that translates into life also, you know. Absolutely. And uh, that's what it is. Jazz is life. Yeah, I agree, man. Totally. Yeah. Let me ask, what's the nicest thing either a fellow musician or a fan has ever said to you? Whoa, said to me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I tend to not, I won't say I don't believe people. I, you know, the nicest thing that ever happened to me, man, and and, and, and I was like a kid. I, I uh, Mr. Rollins came out with a book a few years ago, and I went to his book signing in New York. And when I got to the table, he he knew my name. I walked around New York for about three hours. I, said, I couldn't believe that Mr. Rollins knew my name. <laughs> Does that count? I mean, I was like That's a little kid, man. I was like, wow, he knew my he, he knew my name, and I shook his hand, and and uh, we were invited to play at his uh, documentary, the band. We were invited to be in his documentary, so that was the nicest thing. I couldn't believe it. And then I got a chance to play for him. I was so scared, you know, but that was like, wow, you know, Mr. Rollins knew my name, you know, or getting a phone call from Brantford Marsalis, talking to him on the phone. That's cool. Yeah. You know, that, that that makes me feel like, wow, okay. So I don't know if that counts, but those oh, couple dude. of things really got me. 
that's dream realized stuff there, man. That's the hierarchy of Maslow's step uh, ladder, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, hey, man, that's, I was like a little cheerleader. I was walking around like, wow, he knew my name. <laughs> that, that that might be one of the best answers I ever got. I mean, that's 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 real, man. I mean, when you when you're heroes. <laughs> They tap into who you are and know what's up. That's good. That's good stuff, man. <laughs> like, his name came out about mouth. Wow, you know, yeah. we, we shared the airspace together. I was like, wow, you know. Yeah, that's that was cool. Man. That is cloud nine. Everyone has their version of JD Allen. Your fans do. Your family do. Your business associates. But who do you think you are when you wake up and you live your life and you think about what makes you happy? Who are you? That's a great question. That's probably the best question of uh, 2016. <laughs> you always get that one question that's like, that's the question. Yeah. Well, that's the question I ask. Who who am I? You know, when I wake up, you know, I uh, – lately I've just been trying to take 10 deep yoga breaths, you know, before yeah. I get out to bed, man, and, and deal with the world and, and, and that journey. I try, the goal is to try to do it better every day, man. You know, I, I, I'm not perfect. You know, I, I got a lot of flaws as a person and as a musician, but that, too, is jazz, you know, working on it. So, I, okay, who who is J.D. Allen? J.D. Allen is a work in progress. That That's what I would say. I'm a work right in progress. <laughs> that's great, man. That's, that's great. <laughs> That's perfect. And with that, I think that's a great way to kind of wrap everything up. J.D., thank you for opening up. Thanks for your time. And certainly thanks for the music. Oh, man, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you, you, you thinking of me. And please keep up the good work, man. Thank, thank you so much. I'm honored to, to have done this, man. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, Detroit, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to J.D. for his story, his cool, and all that music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things neon jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.